Levac here for USXPestControl.com. Go to USXPest.com right now and schedule your free inspection. For free, they're going to come out to your house. They're going to walk around the trouble spots. They're going to, you're going to tell them where you've seen things, where you think there might be an issue, and they're going to come up with a plan for you to have the safest home possible when it comes to pest control. The non-chemical exclusion system is perfectly safe, all-natural approach to keeping out rodents and wildlife from your home. So your pets are safe, your kids are safe, you're safe, and all because they went around and did this for you. They also are going to look at your yard. Hey, do you have uh, tick issues? Do you want to keep mosquitoes out? They've got a plan for all of it at USX. You've come to know and love the Gagne family of brands, and you may not even have realized it. They were cat's eye pest control. Well, now it's USX Pest Control. Go to USXPest.com right now and schedule your free inspection. It's time for the top four at four with Levac and Gaz. Brought to you by Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. Brady Farkas, it's a Friday. It's Farkas. It's the top four at four. We're going local here, Brady. Local sports talk here for number four. This one might be a little bit out of your wheelhouse, but we want you as a Capital Region native. Are you, wait, wait, hang on a second. I've been calling you a Capital Region native throughout the week. Is that actually true when you were born in Seattle? That's not actually how that works, right? I wasn't here. born in Seattle either. Wait, wait, wait a second. California. Yes. Okay, you are born in California, lived in Seattle, then came back. Does that make you a Capital Region native if you grew up here? Yes. Okay. I can I can kind of just claim where I want to depending on who I'm talking to. So with you, I claim Capital Region native. Okay. I'm going to have, you know what? No follow-ups. All right, 7 o'clock kickoff here. Jacksonville Sharks taking on the Albany Empire Saturday, 7 o'clock. The Empire have constantly found themselves in headlines for things off the field. If you've missed this, Brady, earlier in the show we discussed that Antonio Brown's back in the news. Shocking. That now the story, the big story here locally is that Antonio Brown went to a local restaurant, ran up a big bill, didn't pay it. It then became a story on the news. He then paid it. So that's the story. Antonio Brown may or may not debut for the Albany Empire at home the following weekend, Memorial Day weekend, or might debut in June. Now he's in the headlines for not paying bills. Are people more interested, less interested? How do you find yourself as somebody outside of the Capital Region now when it comes to the Albany Empire in this matchup down in Florida on Saturday, 7 o'clock, which you can watch on YouTube? Not interested at all. Not interested at all. I'm kind of uh, really just embarrassed because there are a lot of people that love the Firebirds. There were people that love the Conquest, which predate you. There are people that love the Empire. And when they brought, you know, brought Arena Football back, and I know they were selling it out or getting close to sellouts, and they were winning titles. And I think people were genuinely excited to have another thing to go to and have another pro sports team and have another team that was good and another tenant for the, uh, whatever they're calling that arena now down there. Um, you know, it used to be the Pepsi, then it was the team center. It's got a different, that's it, the MVP arena. So I think people were excited about that. But I, I just feel bad for those people because it, the team seems a lot less interesting right now and a lot more dysfunctional. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what happens with Antonio Brown because he's a name that we know. But in terms of being interested in the whole team, I'm, I'm really not. I wish I could say that I'm going to be locked in Saturday night for Empire Act, especially as the past two years as the broadcaster. I want to support the both home and away broadcast. And that's how it's done. The Jacksonville team down in the Shark Tank's going to have the call. Do I think that the views on YouTube will be higher than they've been in previous games? To that, I'm going to say yes. And the reason I say yes to that is because there have been people who may have not followed the Empire in all the past two seasons, in particular two seasons post-COVID, that might be coming over now. There may have been people who followed the Empire when they came back in 2018 and then 2019 when they fall short of the championship. uh, 2019 when they win the championship, 2018 they fell short. That might be like, all right, let me just see what's going on. I haven't been watching or going to Empire Games, but if I pull this up on YouTube, let me see what this is all about before Antonio Brown debuts. Kind of figuring out what's happening. The comparison I keep thinking about is like catching up on a show. Like, hey, I haven't watched the show before, but everybody's talking about it. Let me watch a few episodes, see what the buzz is all about. And then catch up to everybody else. This has a very binge-like quality, this Jacksonville game. Will I be watching? No. Do I think other fans in the Capital Region might find themselves piquing their interest before AB allegedly debuts? Yeah. 
I think there might be more talk about it than I even realize right now. No, I don't think so. People will watch when he plays. People will watch when he plays to see how he looks, what he does on the field, what his attitude is like on the field, how he relates to the team, the team that he's allegedly, you know, not being that great to. I think that stuff, kind of the drama of Antonio Brown playing, will lead to a bump. But look, it's Friday night. It's Friday night, nice weather, the bars are open, the restaurants are open, and you're telling me that more people are going to sit at their computer and watch YouTube? No shot. Story number three involves the Pittsburgh Steelers signing backup quarterback. Hey, speaking of Antonio Brown. Yes. Mitch, a.k.a. Mitchell Trubisky. He's now gone back to Mitch. Anyways, Trubisky was the second overall pick. Contract goes through the 2025 season. Trubisky likely going to be the backup to Kenny Pickett, who was the 2022 first-round pick. And also earlier in the week, for whatever reason, the Steelers decided to sign back Mason Rudolph, which I'm surprised he's still in the league. He hasn't done anything to prove he should be in the league. But nonetheless, do you find this surprising, Brady, that Mitchell, a.k.a. Mitch Trubisky, is getting a three-year contract extension to be a backup? What does it mean, if anything, for Pickett or the future of Trubisky? I I mean, I think it's genius on Pittsburgh's side, first and foremost, right? Like, whether you think Mitchell Trubisky is an all-pro or not, Mitchell Trubisky is capable of being in the league, and therefore we have seen case after case where it's better to have invested in in a serviceable backup than just have, you know, some undrafted free agent back there, right? Like, we see this all the time where, you know, uh, Chad Henney in the AFC title game or in the AFC divisional or whatever a couple of years ago has to come in. Like, it pays to invest in your backup quarterback. So having a guy who has started, who has been to the playoffs twice, again, I'm not saying he's an all-pro, I'm not saying he's a pro bowler, but a guy who can fill in for a snap, for a down, for a quarter, for a game, for a month, whatever, I would take Mitchell Trubisky under those circumstances. As for him, I think it's it's understandable why he'd want to be there because there's a young quarterback there who, although they've invested in, there's not somebody well-established ahead of him, right? Like, this is not you're going to back up Patrick Mahomes where you know you're never seeing the field. Kenny Pickett's got a long leash, I would imagine, this year. But beyond this year, you don't know that he's not going to fall out of favor. And we saw what happened with Geno Smith in Seattle where you're in the same system for a couple of years. You're well-liked. You know the system well. You've got a rapport with guys on the roster. You've got a rapport with receivers. When you get your shot, you have a chance to make a much easier transition rather than just bouncing around year to year and hoping you're going to get a shot. It surprises me. He wants to potentially sit for three years, but it doesn't surprise me that he wants to build some continuity and get a ch- and, and be in a place where the quarterback is not necessarily on solid ground forever. What's the negative I keep going back to? And that's why I feel like it is a good move by Pittsburgh, too, just as you feel. Because with this being the final year of his contract, look at all the things that could have happened. He could have walked at the end of the year. Pickett could have got hurt, and Pittsburgh said, we just don't want to pay him anymore because his price has gone up. So contract, potentially he walks. Maybe he plays so well, you got to consider franchise tagging him, or Pickett plays so terribly that now Trubisky's got you in the mix and you've got a cap hit on him. He's got a salary cap hit of tag, I should say. There's too many variables that could go wrong if you don't pay him. So just go ahead and pay him. And if he sits on the bench and he's got $8 million guaranteed in that first part of the deal, what a great gig. You could potentially play in zero games this season and make $8 bucks holding that clipboard. Chad Henney is smiling somewhere thinking, what a gig this is. The problem with Trubisky is that I feel like his career is always going to be compared to Watson and Mahomes. Watson and Mahomes were both picked after Trubisky. Trubisky, they traded up to go get him. One pick, the Niners... And the Bears flipped to make that thing happen. Now, look, the Niners should not get that much credit for that trade because it didn't work out as great as people think it did for them. But franchise to franchise comparison, the Niners have had more success than the Bears since Trubisky's been in the league. But there's no negative. I can't. The only negative I've really had to go digging for one is that it hurts Kenny Pickett's feelings. Oh, we're going to pay your backup. Oh, you're going to motivate a young quarterback to know that his job's on the line. He's got to work hard in practice because it's not guaranteed. Those sound like great motivators. Now, if he wants to be sensitive about it, he can, and some athletes have been. But I see no negative. Oh, and by the way, let me add one other thing. If somebody gets hurt in the NFL, 
You got a great trade piece right now. That's a pretty decent contract that a lot of NFL teams that if they're scrambling for a QB might say it's worth taking a trade and giving up a pick for Trubisky. All right, Kenny Pickett was yeah. a first, Kenny Pickett was a first round pick. I think I think it's been conveyed to him that this is his job and this is about organization the best for the organization in having somebody capable of coming in if he got hurt. I don't think that Kenny Pickett is on any thin ice this year. It would be next year, you know, if he was terrible that, you know, you could see Trubisky maybe uh, slide in. But I wouldn't be worried about it this year if I were Pickett. Now let's check out the Major League Baseball slate of games for story number two. The New York Yankees take on the Cincinnati Reds. 640 first pitch in store for that one. Clark Schmidt on the mound for the Yankees. As Brady's been annoyed by this all week. Yes, I did just pick up Clark Schmidt on my fantasy team because all week long when we've been doing this. How many heard- ads do you have a week? Isn't there a limit? Five. Five ads a week. Okay. I've, I've had to dump some players because of how bad they've been. So let's go, Clark Schmidt. I need you tonight. Also in action, the New York Mets are hosting the Cleveland Guardians. Carlos Carrasco on the mound for the Mets. And Boston Red Sox action. They start a series tonight as they will be taking on the San Diego Padres on the West Coast. A lot of West Coast games on the way here for Boston. So you're home for the Red Sox, of course, right here, 95.9 to 980. Our coverage tonight gets underway to 840 with first pitch set for 940 Eastern. James Paxton on the mound for the Red Sox. Blake Snell on the mound for the Padres. Let's just preview this Friday night game, Brady. You hear Paxton and Snell. That sounds like a pitcher's duel to me. It might be lack of runs on a West Coast potential midnight post finish for East Coast fans rooting on the Red Sox tonight. Nah, Blake Snell is not the Blake Snell that won the Cy Young a few years ago. He's 1-4. He's got an ERA near 5. He hasn't been great for the last couple of years. I don't know why ever since he left Tampa, he's become immensely hittable. Maybe it's just because Tampa does such a good job at their pitching that no one else can replicate it. I'm fascinated for this matchup for a couple of different reasons. One, the Padres are one of the most underachieving teams in baseball, right? The Mets are underachieving. So are the Phillies. Padres are 20 and 24 right now. They got to turn their season around. They're probably going to have to do it without Manny Machado tonight. And maybe the whole weekend, he's got a small broken bone in his hand. So like, how do they turn around probably without Machado? Um, Xander Bogart's going up against the Red Sox now for the first time since he left in the offseason. Really, the team didn't necessarily want him back, or they you know, they lowballed him. The Padres came in and way overpaid for him. However you spin it, it's Bogart's against his old team. That's a storyline. So um, I don't think Snell is that great anymore. As for Paxton, look, he's barely pitched in, in three years, right? He hasn't really pitched since 2019. He came out at nine strikeouts his last time out. Uh, his first start of the year against the Cardinals, it's going to be about can he replicate it, can he bounce back, and can he ultimately stay healthy. If he can be healthy and good, the ceiling is a lot different for this Red Sox team. I'm taking the under. There's a little preview for me tonight, Brady Farkas. Even though you gave great scouting reports for both Paxton and Snell, and I can't debate, especially the Snell one, about how much better. It feels like Blake Snell became a worse pitcher the moment he had the Rona line Back in 2020, yeah. <laughs> like the moment he let that out of his mouth, he hasn't been a good pitcher. Eight, by the way, is the over-under tonight. I'm going to take the under. I believe both these guys can find something on a Friday night in San Diego and spot on about the Padres being a team that struggled. My guy Adam Shine picked them to win the World Series. I listened to Adam yesterday on the CBS side yelling and screaming how he wants off. He wants a refund for his pick. San Diego can't do this. A franchise that had been so active in the offseason right now a la the Mets in some ways, really active in free agency, but have yet to see some of those big-time acquisitions push them further enough. And I know San Diego was in the NLCS last season, but this is not where they thought they'd be, no doubt, in May of 2023. And story number one, the NBA playoffs. And for another day in a row, you probably should have guessed it. With the battles that are going on in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, this has been the biggest story. Nothing locally has jumped at quite yet. We've had some Yankees and Mets stories rival the playoffs, but this is the semifinal round in the NBA. And for another time this week, we're diving deeper into it. Lakers, Nuggets, Celtics, Heat. Stick around. We got that coming up on the way to preview those games and more. Brady Fark is going to hang with us for another segment to close out our Friday show. We got so much still on the way. You're listening to LeVac and Goss on Fox Sports 95.9 and 980. Hey, it's LeVac for the Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa with Dr. Fred Dreher. Everybody I talk to reminds me that I do this commercial. 
you're welcome, okay? I'm helping, all right? Stop picking on me that I'm so happy I'm sleeping so well, and it's so easy thanks to the Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa. I got people who come up to me and go, yeah, the mask doesn't do anything for me. Well, I don't use the mask. It's a mouthpiece. Well, I don't want to have surgery. Well, good luck. I didn't either. I'm not having surgery. I went. I got a custom-made mouthpiece just for me. It keeps my airway open. It keeps my bottom jaw forward just enough that my airway stays open, which reduces the snoring, which helps me sleep, which keeps me breathing all night long, which turns out breathing very important. It's a big deal. You want to keep doing it. And that's the kind of help that I'm here to offer and that my friend Dr. Fred Dreer at the Integrative Sleep Center has perfected. The Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa, 518-885-6185. They're going to help you the way they help me. It's amazing. The Integrative Sleep Center helping me sleep better. They'll help you sleep better too. A big basketball weekend coming up here as we head on this Friday show closer and closer to Saturday and Sunday. Brady Farkas joining us here on LeVac and Goss to talk some hoops and more as he's done all week, and we appreciate his time. Brady, we've been doing it all week. Getting ready to talk a little bit more hoops to close out this Friday show. Yeah, looking forward to the Celtics game tonight. It's it's not a technical must win, but it feels like a must win. And really exciting Western Conference game last night, as I you know mentioned in the top four at four. Told you the uh, Nuggets out to a 2 nothing lead. But real quick, before we get into whatever you want to get into regarding last night or tonight, can I divert for just a second? Yes, I had a feeling on a Friday we might be going in a different direction. Go ahead, yes. So I had a men's league playoff game last night, right? And baseball scored seven. No, no, no basketball. Okay. So I scored 17, which is it's okay. I mean, you know, really, if you're kind of worth your salt in this league, you should score 20. Like I had 37 last week. My question to you is, are you a jerk? If you keep track of your points in men's league, because I do. And I don't know if I like, I, I don't know if I should be proud of that or ashamed. This is a great question. This might be the best question we you've asked me in years. This is fantastic. Okay. So, me, my personal answer to that question. You're an absolute fool if you're keeping your stats in that. However, I think I'm in the minority on that. I don't think the majority agrees with me on that take because my buddies from back home in Central New York, my buddies from back home in Syracuse, there is a Microsoft Excel sheet with most of my friends that have a place called the John Carno Recreation Center, which is a place that has, I'm not even kidding, 10 and a half foot ceilings. It's a 10 foot hoop. They have 10 and a half foot ceilings. You can barely shoot. So you can see the kids where I grew up. They all have line drive shots. Barely can <laughs> shoot. They're keeping stats. And there's like 14 year olds in there playing. 12. These are grown men. They have highlights. They have uh, plus and minus percentages. So I personally would say you're a fool for keeping your stats. You're in the same level, but maybe even lower than person who keeps the stats in gym class. I used to have a friend who used to keep his stats in gym class. Like, men's league, Brady, I would say, is below gym class in high school. But Buddy, I have, like, we're so old now. There's so little to keep track of and so little to have pride in. <laughs> like, this is what it is. Like, if I... It, if I keep scoring golf, it's going to shoot like a 120. Like, that's not worth bragging about. 37 in the men's league, getting 37 on some 24-year-old who's 10 years younger than me. There's some pride in that. So, yeah, it might be pathetic, but I'm glad to hear your buddies are more pathetic than me. I'm not keeping track of rebounds, mainly because I don't get any. I don't go inside. I just stand outside. But, like, I'm not keeping track of assists. I'm not telling you what my field goal percentage was. All I'm keeping track of is points. And I got to tell you, I felt like a jerk. But when I saw Jason Tatum on Sunday in game seven against the Sixers put up the 5-0, like, he knew we got 50. I know it's on a big scoreboard somewhere in the building, but he knew it was 50. If Jason Tatum can know it's 50, then I can know I had 17 or 37 or anywhere in between. I want you to plug your Twitter so people can leave comments. I know our guy Corey Green, which is leaving you comments yesterday, Peter on Twitter, others. Plug the Twitter because I want to have some response to that. Go ahead, Brady. At WDEV Radio Brady. Yeah, let me know because I have asked several people about this, and some people say you're just the lowest form of human scum, and other people say that you're a selfish player if you care about your your points rather than team success. I got news for you. I'm 33 years old. I don't get any commemorative trophy or T-shirt for winning the league title. I could get some self-pride and some uh, – you know, pat on the back if I score 37. So yeah, selfish. Call me. I don't care. That's probably true. That's fair. At this age, I'm about to be, uh, it's good to be selfish. Team sports was for high school. This is all about me now. 
there's there's no I in team unless it's men's league with an I somewhere. You know what though? I'd like I'd like to win. I'd like to win, but I'll be honest with you. This is gonna sound bad. At this point in my life, if if we went ten and zero and I averaged five points a game, I'd rather go zero and ten and average forty five points a game. I'm sorry, <laughs> Brady. No, no, no. This care. is a horrible. Wait, Brady. You you know what? You almost got yourself out of it. But you can't do that. So now you're just going out there for your selfish stats to talk about them here on Fox Sports 95, 9 and 90. No! It's about winning and building teams and doing things outside your comfort zone and making new friend groups. Like, that's what I thought adult leagues are supposed to be, getting beers after, like, kickball leagues and slow-pitch softball. That's what it's camaraderie and getting out of the house. You make a a fine point. You can't be so self-driven and you can't be so ball hogish that the other people don't like you. Like, I still want to be able to have beers after the game. So you got to get everybody involved. I want everybody to have success. But if you're telling me, hey, you can go 10-0, and 0, but you're barely going to play and get five points a game, or you can go 0-10, everyone's going to like you still, you're still a good teammate, and you're getting 40 a game, I will choose the latter. Like, there has to, I have to have everybody like me so I can still be part of the team bonding and beers in the beer, beers afterwards and get invited to somebody's, you know, a lake house or golf or whatever. Like you have to have that. But as far as success goes, I only want to keep winning. So we get to keep playing in the playoffs so I can score more. I thought this was just going to be you wondering whether or not your stance should be counted. This is so much deeper. I got I want to do this another 90 seconds. Cause I want to make sure to plug the iHeart app, because if you're listening to Brady right now, leave a 30 second message. Maybe you compete in fun kickball leagues. Maybe you're a fast pitcher, slow pitch softball player. Maybe you're like Brady, you're in the men's basketball league and you care about your stats and all that stuff. I, I'm i glad you still have the competitive fire in you because especially male sports fans, there is some guys who are just competitive and need to scratch that competitive edge. And it's good. It's healthy. I don't know if it's the, like the, the afternoon drive that I've worked the majority of my adult life. I don't know if it's just sporting events. I have never had the urge post-college to like, play in any of these leagues. I played in two basketball leagues and I was like, I'm good. And I don't know why. What makes me think that now and what frightens me is I wonder if that competitive flame will come back and I'm going to be the idiot parent yelling during little league games or like (laughs) that's, I don't be that. I know. But like, I'm trying to tell myself, like I can't just turn it off. And then all of a sudden one day be like, Oh, I'm back in. I think it's healthier to do what you're doing than what I did was take 10 years off and then throw back in craziness with six-year-olds running around the the last thing i will say about this is i don't think that i'm that different than a lot of players who play professional sports how many times have you seen a guy he knows he's going to a losing situation he takes the contract he's motivated by something other than winning right like he's motivated by the chance to go we saw with the celtics i know we're going to talk about the celtics here so i'll just transition it back on my own here terry rogier a couple years was a point guard for the celtics he was excellent he, he really starred in the playoffs because Kyrie Irving was hurt. But when Kyrie was coming back, Rozier wanted out. He's like, look, I, I've, I've shown what I can do. I understand this team is good, but I can make more money somewhere else. I can get more shine somewhere else. I can get more runs somewhere else. I can put up better stats somewhere else. So he left the really good Celtics to go to the not very good Charlotte Hornets. He made a selfish best for Terry Rozier decision. Robinson Cano, when he left the Yankees and went to the Mariners, $240 million. We know that's why he went. Guys are motivated by things other than winning at the pro level. So at my level, I can be motivated by making myself look good more so than me going out and getting some commemorative T-shirt at the end of the whole thing. I would like to win. I would like to win. I just want to be the reason why. (laughs) That's all. That's it. Uh, You mentioned the Celtics tonight. They are a 10-point favorite taking on the Miami Heat in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. 10's a lot of points. 8.30 tip-off. Looking at Game 2, impact players, fourth quarter edge. You and I, when we recapped Game 1, we talked about, and you mentioned it, the theme of the Celtics. It seems like have a big lead, blow it. Have a big lead, blow it. Effort? Is that the one word that needs to describe game two for Boston? Even this up effort, effort, yeah, yeah. effort, effort, and consistency. Because I know that Miami is going to be consistent in their effort, whether they are whether they make 15 threes or not. I that I can't predict, but I can predict that they're going to play hard throughout, and they are going to be a nuisance throughout, and they are going to keep coming. 
if Miami gets up two, they're going to work their tail off to extend it. If Miami's down 15, they're going to work their tail off to get back into it. The Celtics have a tendency to take their foot off the gas. So it's going to be about the effort, but it's going to be about consistent effort and bringing it for a full 48 minutes. Because if, as you saw, if you take 12 minutes off against this team, you can and will be beaten. So it is about effort. It is about consistency. And then I think along the same lines, it's about attitude. Effort is part of attitude or attitude is part of effort, however you want to say it. But they have to stay together. And there can be no finger pointing. And they don't really do this, but there can be no finger pointing. There can be no fracturing because I don't want to see they're up 15. All of a sudden it's down to four and somebody's in somebody's grill in a way that isn't isn't productive. In no particular order, LeBron, Kobe, Russell Westbrook. Those are three guys who quickly pop into my brain of in situations like this, your team is trailing in a playoff series. What the storyline would be around the team trailing would be, oh, they've got to take over. They've got to do a lot. And there have been times in all of those careers, and maybe there's another example you can think of, but LeBron, Kobe, and Russell Westbrook, a criticism for those three players in situations like this would be they tried to do too much. Kobe tried to shoot too much. Russell Westbrook had too high of a percentage of ball in his hand during possessions. And uh, LeBron, I mean, go back and look at the Mavericks series if you need. There's been times where he actually didn't perform well, but the heat fell on him. No pun intended there. My fear for Celtics fans tonight is that this could be a Jason Tatum situation where people are going to look at Tatum. The biggest criticism is, is he a superstar? Is he great? If Boston loses tonight or is struggling or trailing, that's because Tatum tries to do too much. And that's my fear is that is Tatum going to try to go for 35 shots tonight and get the Twitter love and all that other stuff that could happen if he tries to go that next echelon of player in the league? No, I, I don't think so. The the big thing is effort and consistency. Look, Jason Tatum scored 30 points in game one. He had a good statistical game in game one. The heat on him is that he didn't attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. That That's the heat on him, that he didn't attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. Now, he had the ball in his hands and turned it over a bunch, which nobody seems to want to mention. Like, he was on his way to getting shots and traveled and turned it over. But it's about killer instinct. It's about the ability to finish for Jason Tatum, right? Like, I don't think it's going to be that he tries to do too much. It's can he close the game out? And he has shown the ability several times to be a closer game seven against Philly last year, game six against Milwaukee. When he's on and he he's engaged, he is one of the best closers, but he isn't always on and he isn't always engaged. So I don't think he's going to try to do too much, but I just got to see him do it in the fourth quarter. Brady Farkas joining us here on LeVac Gaz, Fox Sports 95.9 and 980, talking NBA playoffs as we've done all week long. The conference finals are here. The NBA finals not too far away. Last night, the Nuggets prevail again. They take down the Lakers, a five-point victory over L.A. Close game again in the fourth quarter, but again, Denver holds on. You and I have said from the start of the series and before that, this seemed to be Denver all the way. Now two games to none. Brady, nothing makes me feel different that LA is going to be able to come back and catch the Nuggets. No, I think that uh, I think Denver is going to win this. And I said I think they'll win in six. I think they'll lose game three. Um, you know, that's kind of typically how this goes. The team comes home, has the fans back against the wall, et cetera. I just think Denver is too deep, right? You saw it last night. Now, I know he wasn't as good as in game one. But Denver has the best big man in this series in Jokic. They have the best guard in this series to me in Murray. And Murray showed it in the fourth quarter yesterday. And as great as LeBron is at his age, I don't think he can neutralize those two things. You see LeBron settling for a lot of threes. And he's shooting like 20% from three in these playoffs. But those are the shots that he can get easily right now. And he's not hitting them. And as I predicted yesterday... Anthony Davis was not going to be as good in game two. You talk about consistency. Anthony Davis you know, went from 40 points to, I, I don't know exactly what he finished with, but it was less than 20, I believe, last night. Maybe he just got to 20, but I don't even think he got to that. So Jokic and, and Murray are just a better tandem. I don't want to put the flowers in the dirt, potentially, on the 2023 Lakers quite yet, but uh, I want to play this game a little bit. Let, let's say the Lakers are knocked out quick. Five games, four games, whatever it is, okay? So, thinking ahead to the future, next year is going to be year 20 
for LeBron. LeBron debuted in the league in October of 2003. He's already the all-time leading scorer in the history of the NBA. We are no doubt in the final few seasons of LeBron. So what's going to happen next? So he's got one year left to go for the Lakers, likely. His son, Bronny, has committed to USC. So Bronny's going to be in college basketball next season. It's going to be an odd finish for the Lakers. Like, I don't see them in the offseason going all in and trying to win one more with LeBron at 38 years old. Will they? I'm very fascinated by how the Lakers potentially handle the final season with LeBron if LeBron decides to bolt LA and go play wherever Bronny's drafted, if that's still his scenario, which has been rumored. Do you feel that whole end to the Lakers here with LeBron might be messier than we've talked about leading up to next offseason? No, they still have LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they're still going to think that they're contenders with that. They're still, look, they've developed a nice little core here this year that if it played together for 82 games, you'd think could be, you know, could be good enough. They they see the Warriors and think maybe that they're coming to an end. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Dallas. You know, that's another team that's supposed to be good. That I'm not sure what's going to happen there with Dallas and Kyrie, et cetera. So I think the Lakers would think they were in it. And I think they just think they have to get a top six seed, avoid the play-in game, and they will always have a chance. So, no, I don't think it's necessarily going to be messy. What I think is most interesting is the point about LeBron playing with Bronny. And I know that's not the topic, but, like, I, I think it's really interesting from a whole lot of different levels there. One does a team draft Bronny solely for the purpose of getting LeBron? Do they use Bronny to get to LeBron? Does a team want Bronny but not want LeBron and be forced to take him? Is it really good parenting necessarily for LeBron to – look, it's a selfish goal of LeBron to play with his son. Is it best for his own kid's development to be to, to be his dad and be on his same team? I don't. I think, I think that's more fascinating than what happens to the Lakers next year. It also makes you think, okay, if you could put your son in a position that because of my success and whatever craft it is, whether it be a business owner, whether it be a broadcaster, whether it be a basketball player, because of the success I've had in my career, I could potentially set up my future, my sibling, uh, excuse me, my sons for that future. That's pretty cool. But you had a really few good follow-ups of, yeah, that's good for year one. But what happens when LeBron retires? They're just going to cut him? What if Ronnie doesn't play well? What if Ronnie stinks at you? There is so much more that's coming that is fascinating. But yeah, the Lakers. Is, what if what if Ronnie needs two, three, four years of college development? Is it really good for LeBron to say, hey, I want to play with you, so I'm going to pull you out of what's best for your development? Yeah, that stuff is all very fascinating. And that's going to be the discussion whenever the Lakers season ends. Could be sooner than later. Brady Farkas, it has been a fun week. Thank you so much for doing this. We are hoping to have you back in July. We mentioned it earlier in the week. We got some stuff going down. So this is not the final time you're going to hear Brady Farkas. It's been far too long that Capital Region sports fans waited to hear you back on the airwaves here locally. But it won't be this long again, my friend. It has been fun. Now, next time I get home, I got to find myself at uh, Country Drive-In in Clifton Park, uh, Jumpin' Jacks in, in, uh, in Glenville. I got to hit up. All the old haunts. Now that I've got the nostalgia of talking with you again, i got to hit up all the old haunts when I come home. Next. Well, when you come home next time, make sure one of the spots you hit up is Mohawk Honda. We know you know about the Mohawk family. You've got a great connection with them and all that great stuff happened with Mohawk Honda. But the weekend is on the way. So if you've got that weekend Memorial Day road trip thinking about June and July on the way, but your vehicle you're driving around right now, you're starting to get worried if you can actually make the road trip, upgrade your vehicle today at Mohawk Honda in Glenville. Say what's up to Cam McKenna, Brian McKenna, Greg Johnson, Lindsey Harrodin, everybody from Nick and Nate doing social media, John and service. You've heard these names throughout the week. One more shout-out for her, Lydia and East Greenbush, who gave us a, hey, the reason I stopped over to Mohawk Honda was because of LeVac and Gaz. We love hearing that. So make your appointment this weekend. Stop in and get yourself a new ride. Or maybe you want a certified pre-owned vehicle. Maybe you want to find that ride that fits your budget and more. They're going to have it for you. And the most important part that I love telling people, it's people that you can trust during the car buying experience. So many horror stories I've heard from the past that people don't even want to get a new vehicle because they're so afraid to go to a dealership. That is not the case at Mohawk Honda. We're going to be there May 30th, make it a part of your day to get yourself a new ride. It's Mohawk Honda where they always go out of their way to please you. Now I'm heading to Syracuse this weekend in my pilot, and then I'm off to Rochester But in between there, between the PGA Championship and my drive to Syracuse, Mets fans are going to see some new Syracuse Mets now as New York Mets. We're going to talk about that and what it can mean for the future of the Mets in 2023 as the broadcaster Michael Tricarico joins us next here on Fox Sports 95.9 and 980.
Levac and Goss here on Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980. New York Mets fans, it has been a wild week for you from come from behind victories and maybe something sparking and this team can find themselves in first place later on. But one of those sparks that could potentially be in the lineup is some of these new prospects and who better to talk about it than a guy who's watching the prospects up and close and in person throughout this season. That is the AAA broadcaster for the Syracuse Mets. Michael Tricarico joins us on the phone lines. Tricky, we're going to get to the prospects, but please, I, I got to start off with this. It's getting a lot of buzz over the last month. I, people have been sending it to me in the DMs on Instagram. Can we talk about you and your broadcast partner, Evan Stockton, and the situation you guys had talking about breakfast foods earlier this spring? Yeah, guys. Uh, first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, always enjoy talking to you. And And yeah, earlier this year, there's this boozy brunch promotion that we do in Syracuse. So it was a Sunday afternoon. Every Sunday we do this, this promotion. And uh, one of our fine staff members decided to bring us up some, uh, some of the bottomless mimosas that are being offered as, as part of the promotion. And it got us talking on breakfast foods. And Evan Stockton, my broadcast partner, brought up this thing of pancakes for the table, which I have never heard of before. I, at one, said it's not a thing, and I, I'm not even sure if it should be a thing. And he's like, no, it's, it's totally a thing. And we got in this whole debate. People on social media have jumped in as well. I think there's two parts, two questions. One, is pancakes for a table a thing? And if it's not a thing, should it be a thing? I don't think it's a thing whatsoever. I've never heard of it. I think pancakes are their own separate meal. They're not an appetizer. They're not like cinnamon rolls or something else you might get for the table as an appetizer, nachos, something like that. No, pancakes are something you get as your, your own meal. Now, I don't think it's a thing. Should it be a thing? I don't know. Probably not. But, I mean, to each their own, I suppose. But, yeah, that, that got us going for a while. Evan vehemently thinking it's a thing. Maybe it's a Midwest thing. He's, he's from Metro Detroit. So maybe it's a, a Midwest thing that I just don't know about. Like you. Evan is a very talented broadcaster. A great career is on the way. But let me be the first to say he's an absolute fool with this take. It is a cold, <laughs> terrible take. You and I grew up basically in the same area, both Central New York guys. This is nonsense to us. And please, you can let us know on social media, at TomGoss, T-O-M-G-O-Z-Z, at WOFX980. I will tag Tricky in the post. This is nonsense about pancakes for the table at brunch. You know? No. You are right. He is wrong. And you can let my guy Ben Prez know about that take as well. He's a Central New York guy, too. He'll he'll set Evan Stockton straight. All right, so let's get into the prospects here. We've got some news. Mark Vientos called up to the big league squad. What can Mets fans expect about this prospect? I'll tell you what. His bat for a couple years now could have played at the major league level, and I think you saw that the other day with his game-tying two-run home run. I talked to coaches. I talked to scouts and other players, and uh, even as far back as early to middle of the year last year there was no question his bat was major league ready the, the question always was where is he going to play defensively he's normally a third baseman or first baseman well unfortunately first base well i mean fortunately you have pete alonzo on your team but unfortunate for mark uh, that's not a spot that's open in, in the majors for him and at third base you had escobar and, and now you have brett Beatty, who you know it, it has shown to have a little bit better grasp on on third base so Fortunately, you do have the, that DH spot in the National League now. And, you know, that's a position that I think, you know, Vientos, a lot had been said last year and even this year that, oh, he's got a platoon, right? He's a right-handed bat. He'll be the right-handed platoon to the DH spot. And, and last year, I think that held some credence. I was, I was looking at some numbers just yesterday and, and, and earlier this week. And last season against left-handed pitching, Vientos had an OPS of better than 1,000. But against right-handed pitching, the batting average was uh, nearly 70 points lower, and the OPS was hovering around 750. So last season, there was no doubt Mark struggled against right-handed pitching. Now, the numbers were still great, don't get me wrong. I mean, he was still hitting 260 against right-handed pitching. That's, that's not bad, but the power certainly was much better against left-handed pitching. This season, Mark had an OPS from the left-hand side that was actually slightly worse. And he only had 31 plate appearances against left-handed pitchers compared to about 137, I think it was, plate appearances against right-handed pitchers. But 11 of his 13 home runs came against right-handed pitchers. He had an OPS of better than 1,100 against right-handed pitchers. 
Numbers very similar from the left-hand side. The batting average, it was about 350 against left-handed pitching, still 330, 335 against right-handed pitching. So all of that talk that, oh, Mark can only face left-handed pitchers, he's going to struggle against right-handed pitching, he completely threw that by the wayside this season. And, and he's a guy that is still maybe looking for a spot defensively. I'll tell you, his, his defense has gotten a lot better. I talked to our manager, Dick Scott, who really felt that it's, it's Mark's footwork that saw the biggest improvement, and, and that's why he saw a vast improvement on the defensive side at, at third and even the times he played it at first base. But in terms of his bat, I'm, I'm, I'm officially retiring the whole he has to be a platoon designated hitter. No, he could be your everyday designated hitter if you want him to be, and if you need to fill him in at third or at first, he can play those spots as well. But he could face any type of pitching. The power is there, and he's going to be a fun guy to watch offensively. Michael Tricarico joins us here on the phone lines. He is the Syracuse Mets broadcast. And don't forget, all of our guests join us via the Elevation 10,000 phone lines. Elevate your brand with Elevation 10,000. So you're seeing these prospects up front. I think also we should add some context here, too, that he got called up in September of 2022 last season, and he's back to the Major League. So it's not his Major League debut, but when this happens again, he's not going back down, right? Like this is, you mentioned the DH spot. This is going to be him likely in the majors. The goal is, and it's projections is hard, especially post-COVID. The goal is he's going to be a major league player for the Mets for their foreseeable future. He's likely, unless injuries come in, not going back to Syracuse. Yeah, 100%. He's proved everything he needed to. I mean, Brett Beatty was the same thing earlier this season. Brett was hitting 400. He was probably the best player I've seen in the minor leagues. Beatty was since Fernando Tatis Jr., who I saw when he was coming up as an 18-year-old in the Padres system. I mean, Beatty hit 400. He got called up. He just proved everything he needed to. Viento, same thing. What more did he need to prove? Uh, maybe he could work a little bit more on, on the defense, but you know, he, he played a, a much more improved third base. His first base has gotten a lot better, and the bat showed everything he needed to. You know, if he struggles, I mean, he, he showed everything he needed to in, in AAA. He accomplished pretty much everything he could at AAA. He's up for the, for the foreseeable future. Now, although he may not be a familiar name with New York Mets fans, one name that is familiar with New York baseball fans is Gary Sanchez. There's some rumors, there's some rumblings that – Sanchez maybe in the future could be joining the New York Mets roster. What could a move like that having Gary Sanchez return to the major league level have for the major league squad for the New York Mets? I think it's a low risk, very, very high reward type type of move. You have a current vacancy on the catcher's side in terms of a second catcher. Obviously, Francisco Alvarez is up there as a 21-year-old, and his defense, I think, has impressed everybody from the fans to the the people in the in the front office for New York, and obviously you, you see his bat and the potential that Alvarez has with his bat. But, you know, we saw Tomas Nito go down. It seems like maybe his eye issue could be fixed, but he's, he's still probably a couple of weeks away. Uh, Omar Navarez is going to maybe start a, a rehab stint sometime next week or coming up in the future, but that's still a couple of weeks away until he returns. You know, right now you have Michael Perez, who in his first game up there in the majors goes four for four. He does have some major league experience. But I think from this standpoint, you have Gary Sanchez, who's a couple of years removed from being an American League All-Star and a 34 home run year when he was with the New York Yankees back in, in 2019. And I think you, you have a guy who can play the catcher spot, but he can also fit into the designated hitter spot as well. I mean, his defense was both hot and cold. He actually threw out two different runners. Uh, he was two for four, throwing out runners that were trying to steal against him. Still a very strong arm behind the plate. Um, you know, I think sometimes he gets a bad rap for his defense, but it can certainly improve. And we saw Carlos Beltran actually in Buffalo. He was watching a lot of these prospects and a lot of these players. And I saw Beltran talking with Sanchez a lot. They were actually former teammates. I got to, to interview Beltran for our, our pregame show uh, before one of our games. And, and, and he felt that Sanchez over the last couple of years had gotten away from some of the things that had made him successful with the Yankees. And that was one of the things that Beltran was talking to Sanchez about really wanted to try and loosen up the, the upper half, make it more fluid. I think one of the quotes that Carlos Beltran told me about Gary Sanchez is the guy's 240 pounds. He doesn't need to work too hard to generate a whole lot of power. The power is going to come. And I think, Beltran felt that Sanchez was trying too hard to hit for power as opposed to just letting the game come to him. And, 
And we saw that eight games with Syracuse reached base in all eight games, had hits in six of eight with a couple of doubles and, and a home run. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you, you pull him up. He's going to get an opportunity for at least a week or two to, to fill in that catcher spot. And he's either going to be really, really good. And you decide, hey, we found we caught lightning in a bottle or it just doesn't work out. And, you know, you, you decide to part your ways and, and you don't really lose a whole lot because you still have Navarez and, and Nito and, and a couple of others in the organization. So, uh, like I said, low risk, high reward. I think people can at least be excited that maybe Gary Sanchez gives you something. If you figured it out here in the minor league, uh, then great. And if not, oh, well, on to the next one. We've got Mark Vientos, we've got Gary Sanchez. So whether it be this month, maybe later in the summer, if New York Mets fans need to keep an ear and an eye out for another name, them listening right now on LeVac and Gaz, 95, 9 and 90, they can put it down on their phone and tell their buddies a week from now, a month from now, hey, I heard that this could be another player that could help the Mets later. Whether it's a prospect or a name you've got an ear and an eye on, who else could be coming up the system this season that could have an impact for the major league squad? I think the name has to be Ronnie Mauricio. This is a guy that Carlos Beltran last week said he has all the potential in the world to be a star. And I do not disagree with that whatsoever. Mauricio is second in the international league in batting average. He leads the league clear by five doubles. He has 19 doubles this season. He has 27 extra base hits. That's three more than anybody else in the international league. And he has 59 hits, which as of yesterday, I still haven't checked today. As of yesterday, that was more hits than anybody else in minor league baseball and in major league baseball. The guy's hitting 350. He's a switch hitter who could hit from both sides of the plate. And whereas we talked with Vientos about, well, does he really have a, a spot defensively? First base obviously is locked up. Third base, you have, you know, Beatty and, and even Escobar at third. When it comes to Ronnie Mauricio, Yes, he's a natural shortstop, and he's played shortstop for pretty much his entire career, and you have Francisco Lindor there, but he's just a natural athlete, and we've seen him play at second base. I still think the defense at second, he needs to be more comfortable. He's committed a couple of errors, and you can see some uncomfortability there, not necessarily understanding with the guy at first based on where the ball is hit, to his left, to his right. Should he get the footwork turned so he makes the play at first, or should he try and make a close play at second? We saw that the other day. He tried to make a hero spin and throw to second, and it made a bad throw. So he's still learning that second-base position, but he's such a, a natural athlete. He, he, he really does, when, when he gets it, have, have good footwork. I think it's something he can improve on at second base specifically. But the bat, once again, is major league ready. Switch hitter can hit from for, for power mainly from the left-hand side, but his batting average actually for much of the season was higher from the right-hand side, even if you didn't see as much power from that side of the plate, but a switch hitter that eventually I think can, if you want him to right, fill into second base, you could play Jeff McNeil on the outfield. I think Mauricio is a guy that when we were talking to him before the season, he was asked, well, are you willing to play second base? Are you willing to play left field or center field or right field? And his direct quote was, I'm willing to play wherever the New York Mets need me to play. That'll get me to the major league. He's willing to play wherever he needs to, and I think the athlete within him will allow him that. I think if he does get the call up soon, it's going to be because his bat's really good and because he can play second base and, and Buck Showalter can uh, adjust the lineup accordingly defensively to, to make sure you got a guy like Mauricio in. But I think the one thing you have this year, if you're a New York Mets fan as opposed to last year, you have reinforcements coming up the pipeline where the team you see at the beginning of the year is going to be different from the team you see at the end of the year. We're already seeing that with – Beatty's gone up, Alvarez has gone up, Vientos now recently, and I think Ronnie Mauricio could be another guy that if the offense needs a spark, he's a guy waiting in the wings. If you want to interact with him, learn more about the Syracuse Mets and the prospects that are coming up to the New York Mets, at Tricky, CNS7 on Twitter, Michael Tricarico. Tricky, it's been so awesome to follow your career. I'm so glad we continue to stay in touch. Our Central New York ties are tight. Again, give my guy Prez some love in the booth. Love him, man. He's doing a great job for you. Tell Evan Stockton to knock it off with the pancake takes, and we will talk again soon, my friend. Take care. Keep up the great work this season. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. There he goes, our guy, Michael Tricarico. Don't forget, he joined us on our phone lines, brought to you by Elevation 10,000. Elevate your brand today with our friends over at Elevation 10,000. We go from talking baseball to our play of the day. Rarely, I will promise you this, rarely will we ever close a LeVac and Goss show with an interview. 
But with all the movement going on involved with the New York Mets, with Tricky on the road and doing all that stuff, I wanted to make sure we got him in on Friday's show. So hopefully, if you missed any of today's show, whether it's our guy Closer, Brian Mariano, whether it's Brady Farkas, whether it's LeVac, on a Friday show in May, especially if you're mowing the lawn tomorrow, if you're taking the road trip like I am to the PGA Championship in Rochester, whatever you're doing this weekend, download, subscribe, rate and review on Apple and Spotify. Hook that right up to your car and then play it right off of there and can listen to the podcast and catch up on whatever you need. All right, play of the day brought to you by Mohawk Chevrolet. Mohawk Chevrolet, always going out of the way to please you. I keep going back to the Preakness, man. I said earlier in the show, so before the Preakness pick, one other pick for tonight, take the under in runs scored between the Red Sox and the Padres. Paxton and Snell, Brady Farkas, one more hat tip to you. Good job on the scouting report for Paxton and Snell. Far better pitchers in the late 2010s than they've been the post-COVID seasons. But a veteran, Friday night, big-time pitching performance, nice crowd in San Diego. I think both these guys step up when it matters on that weekend night game. I like both to have a really nice performance tonight. All right. You know, my guy, Maggie, a.k.a. Mage. I'm going to take him again in the Preakness. Three over. Oh, my God. This field stinks. I can't believe it got worse. It's gotten worse. I got a scratch here. I got scratch on first mission, the eight. So I got a seven horse field and they all stink. This, this pre Andrew champagne, someone check on him to make sure he doesn't think this field stinks that bad. I feel like I should just bet against mage Maggie. Well, I'm going to keep calling that horse because that's what I want to call Maggie. Uh, I'm just going to go with three over seven. So an exact three, seven, I should chase against the Here's what I'm really going to play, right? Three sevens, probably the best bargain for you, but here, I'm going to do the Pharaoh bet. I'm going three overall overall. Boo, you stink, guys. It's a $30 bet. Don't I just want to hit a number? Like, don't you just want it to be like American Pharaoh and the $2 try pays $9.90? Like, if you really want to do it, just put three over two. If Chase the Chaos is your long shot and you hope for the best, then you get three over two, then maybe that's the best way to do it. It's going to go off at eight to five. It's not going to get your money back. You got to hope for a long shot in second. You got to bet against them, but who's going to beat them? So maybe not your favorite horse racing play. I can't make a case for any other horse besides the three. So Maggie for the win. Hope for a long shot in second. Overall, overall, like I did at Farrow in 2015, and hope you just get a 50 to one shot in second. But the money's not going to be there. The pay's not going to be there. But we do likely have a winner going for the Triple Crown come June. Thanks to everybody who joined the show this week. We got Cavino and Rich coming up next. We got the Odd Couple as well. And then Red Sox baseball pregame gets underway at 840 tonight. With 941st pitch. Catch you again on Monday. LeVac will be back in studios. LeVac and Goss here on Fox Sports 95.9 and 980.